Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to bring you this episode uh, with Bob Hunter today. But before we do that, just wanted to let you know that we are in the process of imagining how to cultivate deeper community with you all. And in the coming weeks ahead, uh, we'll continue to roll out ways in which you can journey alongside of us in that. But we wanted to let you know that um, this month will be the first month of our newsletter, the Permission to Be newsletter, in which uh, we'll offer y'all some resources and voices some fr- uh, from around the community, friends of the pod. So want to make sure that you're signed up for that. You can go to permissiontobepodcast.com, register for that. This episode is loaded with a lot of history. And if you've listened to episodes with Letty, uh, who's also who's a historian, um, you know that we can't know where we're going unless we know where we're coming from. And sometimes it can be really difficult to contextualize what we're listening to, um, especially when we're in this work of decolonization, of dismantling racism, uh, uprooting white supremacy. It can be hard to locate ourselves in these stories or to make sense of why we're having certain conversations. In the coming weeks and months ahead, we're going to actually be launching the Permission to Be community, where we will explore frameworks for understanding our place and positions in history, spaces to practice mutual aid, spaces to demonstrate care and concern for one another, spaces to learn and grow, spaces to co-create, to rest, and embody a bold and brave community that processes through the ways that we show up, through the expansive work of becoming and being. This conversation for me, as I listened and absorbed Bob's wisdom, felt like sitting at the feet of the elders, which is a sacred practice in many of our traditions, but especially for me as a person who is black living in the United States of America. This narrative uh, of passing down stories and history telling is really how the past lives within us and becomes alive through us. And so we're really excited to share the following moments with you and we hope you benefited as much as we did see you on the other side hello and welcome to permission to be let's hit him with the remix oh well, y'all gotta change yes. that yes <laughs> what do we do uh, we leave our f-bombs in and let's tell some stories as long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound, they're gonna keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. 
Out of, out, of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, yeah. and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my 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 literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Our guest this evening is Professor Bob Hunter. Before Bob retired in 2014, he was a diversity and justice specialist for the Indiana Division of InterVarsity. He was also the black on the Black Campus Ministries of InterVarsity. And Bob has taught courses in racism, conflict management, and occasionally statistics at Trinity College, Binghamton University, and Earlham College. And he is the former chair of the Richmond, Indiana Human Rights Commission. He has twice won the Frida Dawkins Award for his work in civil and human rights. And he is co-author of Loving Justice and co-editor of Yearning to Breathe Free, Liberation Theologies in the United States. Bob worked for a number of organizations teaching justice issues to scores of students with his late wife, Carol Hunter. And he is on the board of Just Faith Ministries. Um, so I know him as Uncle Bob, knower of everything and everyone, and we are delighted to have him come and talk to Tommy, Becca, and I this evening. Welcome, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Olivia. <laughs> Appreciate being here. Olivia, to you what's wrong with uh, your voice? <laughs> I, I nice. have a non-COVID affliction, stress on non-COVID. Um, I've been hacking and coughing all week, but I have been tested and I'm COVID negative. So I actually have a summer cold. Hence, I sound very raspy. Nothing's wrong with your voice. I just wanted Not to at poke all. fun. I just wanted to poke fun because, you know, what would this podcast be if we yes, didn't I'm poke fun at each other? So. Like raspy. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Bob. Um, first Thank of all, you. I also have to say, like, before we even got on this podcast, uh, Bob is like my elder, y'all, and we don't call our elders by first name. So I had to make sure I got clearance first. <laughs> so just just note, <laughs> Black tradition, <laughs> that's how yeah. we treat our elders. We do not go by first name. So you hear me saying, Bob, I have permission everybody breathe it's all good but thank you for being here <laughs> yeah thank you it's, it's good to be here it's good to get to meet you tommy um i had a question because okay does inner varsity mean anything like what is inner varsity is that just part of a name is it does it symbolize something yeah it does actually it means it's actually um a organization that was founded in britain and varsity in Britain means university. So, so 
InterVarsity started as a as a uh, kind of a Bible fellowship group between Oxford and um, oh dear, um, Oxford and the other institution that the big um, institute university. But it started between those two universities in Britain. Cambridge. And so, yeah, Cambridge, right? Cambridge and Oxford. Thank you. And so, because it was a um, so the inter means between university. Um, the word varsity just stuck in our country only for um, sports. And so when people hear university, they think it's something to do with sports. It, it does not mean that. Um, it just has that, it still has the British name to it, which is between universities. So it is an organization that is founded to work with students um, among the universities in the United States, Canada, um, mm -hmm. and Britain. And now it's uh, blossomed to a group called the um, International Fellowship Evangelical Association, which is worldwide. Mm -hmm. My mind just got blown just by that little bit of information. <laughs> I grew up in the fundamentalist aspect of that. My dad was uh -huh. ABSU director. Baptist Student Union Director for the Southern okay. Baptist uh, right. and also worked for the Navigators as well. Mm -hmm. okay. So okay. we, um, he worked with multiple colleges and that was my childhood. Yeah. So I get to understand yeah. a little bit of it. Yeah, I'm going to, I would define that a little bit as some of the more conservative yes. evangelical organizations, okay. but not fundamental. Oh, okay. Oh. And, I'll, and I'll try to make that oh. distinction as we go along. Yeah, I'm excited to learn. Like, Y'all, we talked a little bit beforehand um, mm -hmm. with Bob and about the difference between fundamentalism and evangelicalism, and he is going to um, share his wisdom on that, and that is um, something I am um, curious about because I don't have a yeah. good grasp on the separation and where those lines lie. Well, there's there's not. In fact, there's there's still fights over that, so I could start a fight at any point <laughs> among your listeners, if not you that's so, okay <laughs> all right before um, before we do that though before yeah. we do that though because uh -huh. this is permission to be and i'm in full transparency it's hard calling you bob right now because i'm like oh my god all this knowledge let's let me sit down <laughs> um who yeah my, who but see my dad if you call me mr hunter or reverend hunter that would be my dad and he's dead oh, so please don't go to okay me. okay okay i mean I, I'm like I'm like Olivia, but you said don't call you Uncle Bob yet. So, but I'm like okay, okay, all right, don't do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but who? So who are? You? I never gave her permission to call me Uncle Bob. Either, <laughs> no, we just took it upon ourselves. See, yeah. it's, it's 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 what we do. We're like we can't call them by the first day. <laughs> um, so the audience doesn't know anything about you and I feel like you're about to take us on a journey that's about to bless us but can you give us um not even a brief but take some space to tell us who you are um yeah. and and sort of how we came to this moment of of being with you here but yeah I'm just the floor is yours <laughs> okay well um yeah it's it's kind of interesting because um my dad was a fundamentalist so that's why um, this subject really impresses me and is important to me. He was a black fundamentalist. And by that, I don't mean that he was a white fundamentalist. Um, but he did come from um, 
my dad was a, um, a farmer, actually, grew up in Lima, Ohio. My mom was, uh, was a homemaker and uh, grew up in, in two places. She grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and in North Carolina. So she was in uh, both the South and the uh, inner cities in, in this country. And so that gave her a perspective. And so as she raised us, we had a lot of perspectives. We grew up, I grew up in a neighborhood that was in the 50s, we're talking about, that was as diverse as you could find in the country at that time or today, I would say. Um, we, it was diverse both in racially, but it was also diverse economically. So we had some very poor white families. We had some very poor black families. We had the CEO of a sausage company, um, a, a million multimillionaire um, in the neighborhood. And we had some poor Latino families and some very rich white people. We had a couple of streets over was the um, was the first black evangelist with Billy Graham, Howard Jones. And so we were friends with the Graham family. And so we knew that part of evangelicalism or fundamentalism as the case may be. Um, so, um, so it was a very diverse situation that was, I grew up in. Um, we went to a predominantly white school. The, uh, we were in the suburbs or the outskirts uh, at the time. It wasn't really suburbs yet. It's more outskirts of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, we went to church in the city, so we were immersed in that. My dad was connected with a school that I'll mention later, that, but it was a, it was a sort of a, a it was a, they called itself a seminary, but it was really a Bible school. And the distinction between Bible school and seminary is important in talking about fundamentalism because Bible schools are usually training places, the places where you kind of learn how to learn a few scriptures, you learn a particular perspective on the scriptures. Um, so it's, and it's to be, maybe to be slightly unfair, it was indoctrination. So the Bible schools were different than seminaries, um, but this was called a seminary. They called it a seminary. It wasn't officially one. And so he got his um, education there and went to the, the uh, fundamentalist Bible school there in Cleveland. And uh, that became, that, that later grew into the Fundamentalist Baptist Fellowship Association. It was a group of fundamentalist Baptist people. But I want to back up a little bit. So I grew up in that context. Um, and uh, my mom, for a while, was not going to Baptist. She didn't like the Baptist. She was Christian Missionary Alliance. My dad had pastored a Christian Missionary Alliance in Oberlin and was a pastor of that in Oberlin, Ohio. Oberlin's a very liberal place, as you know. Uh, we would call it progressive now. And uh, so there was a, it was an interesting place to be raised. Um, my mom always said I'd like to argue because uh, I had been born in Oberlin. <laughs> so, you know, it was in my blood system. <laughs> so, um, but I loved, uh, I loved Oberlin. I loved the college town. And I've always liked college towns because of that. The, you know, Oberlin had a, you know, sort of a, the campus and lots of trees and the, uh, you know, students going from place to place. So the hustle and bustle and, and all of that always appealed to me. And I've spent most of my life on campuses. I think um, 
if it wasn't to argue, it was at least because I love college campuses, I love a good discussion. And so my mom was at least partly right there <clears throat> about, you know, sort of being um, bonded or, or, you know, imp imprinted with the college campus in that way. So I've spent most of my time on college campuses. I've worked, I've taught courses, as uh, Olivia pointed out, in racism, diversity, those kinds of courses. And that's kind of the chaplain's work I did. For a while, I was just doing regular counseling and running Bible studies and whatnot, um, but grew to really like and speak around the, the state of Indiana and the country on issues of justice and uh, diversity. And so those became real interesting areas in my life. Um, and as I tell some of this history, I'll, I'll also point out where I fit into it because um, some of the foundations of evangelicalism and particularly uh, social justice evangelicalism, I was right there for. I remember the formation of um, a, a magazine called The Freedom Now was founded in my living room. A guy named John Alexander came to my dad, one of the problems that the fundamentalist Baptists were having is that the white fundamentalist churches were not affiliating with them. They would not allow them into their organizations. You know, and of course, the question I always ask my dad is why are you, why would you accept these folks that don't accept you? I mean, why, you know, and he'd say, well, some of them do. And he had some friends, some good friends that were in those organizations. My mom didn't trust them. And that was always a source of tension because my mom did not trust an organization that would not accept our church into it. Um, and so you had this, uh, you had this kind of fundamentalism going on, uh, you know, and uh, so finally the black fundamentalists formed their own organization. But this magazine that was called Freedom Now um, later became the Other Side magazine. And uh, it, was, it was out of the, the um, Alexander's. So I want to sort of walk through that history, if I might. Um, but yes, please. Any questions at this point? Am I correct that, in assuming that, that the reason helpful? the white fundamentalists wouldn't accept your dad's church is because it was black fundamentalist, it was racial? Okay, right. I, I assume that. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, it was. It was clearly racial. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. That's what. I, in fact, I said, you know, isn't that a sin, Dad? I mean, I went. You know, isn't that a sin? Would you accept a group that had pornography? You know, or you know, would you? He said, no, we would break off from them. And I said, well, why not this sin? Isn't that as important? And he just didn't see it that way. And so my perspective was always sin is sin. You know, I mean, if you're going to see something as sin, then, then get away from it, particularly if they're not fixing it. They eventually accepted uh, the church in um, somewhere around 1984. And I, I, I hardly thought that was a victory, you know, I, Oh my gosh! And, and 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 issued a letter of apology, you know. And I said to my dad, you know, um, by now, you know, the dogs and the cats and the birds know better, you know. They, they, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, but but fundamentalism is different, I think, than evangelicalism. Okay, tell us how. Yes, please. And I've been using the the term. Fundamentals, uh, fundamentalism uh, deliberately. Um, white fundamentalism really began in the 20s and 30s. There was a fight within mainline Protestant circles. Um, and this fight went on um, 
over um, how literally to take the Bible and how specifically to take certain precepts. And there was, there was in fact a, um, a, um, a seven fundamentals of the faith, and among them were the virgin birth and the uh, resurrection of Jesus, the second coming, um, the, um, um, the literalness of the Bible, and so forth. So those were all part of the fundamentalist contingents of the time. In the 20s, eventually, the, the fundamentalists got thrown out of the seminaries. And they, they went and they formed their own seminaries. So the mainline seminaries, the Presbyterians, particularly started in the Presbyterian circles, but it went on to others. Um, and it included the Baptists and Baptist seminaries not. The, um, the fundamentals were defrocked and thrown out. And of course, they've been mad at that ever since and have determined, that part of their determination was to say, well, we're, we're not gonna, never gonna let this happen to us again. You know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be thrown out. And so we're gonna protect ourselves from the influences of the more liberal denominations. So oftentimes we, we think of these groups as, you know, the fundamentals of being the people that throw people out, but they were actually the ones that were thrown out and their anger uh, centered around that. Now there's lots of reasons they were thrown out and um, we might or might not agree with, you know, throwing folks out, um, but they were, they were concerned, the seminaries were concerned about the influences of this kind of strict stuff that carried with it um, other things. Uh, one of the big arguments in the 20s and, and I guess later the 30s was a, a debate between um, William Jennings Bryan, if you remember that name, he was the one that, that argued the Scopes trial. So he was arguing in the Scopes trial and uh, Emerson Fosdick, um, who was um, uh, more social justice oriented and more liberal in his in his thinking. Um, and of course, William Jennings Bryan was a, a blatant racist as well, though he was a populist and really believed that the the common person. And so in that you can kind of see the this the populism, a racist populist, um that you know, you could define Donald Trump as that. So you, this is what's mm, happening gotcha. now is not really new. Um, it's it's kind of it's there, but William Jennings Bryan was also he wasn't he wasn't either categorized. Categorized, he's not easily categorized. Of course, he argued against Darwinism, and and that became a big thing: the Darwinist versus the non-Darwinist, and the, and that sort of thing. It, it, of course, centers around some of the, the whole issue of education and, and higher education and how that is applied to scripture. And higher criticism was one of those things that was argued about. And higher criticism just meant applying certain critical skills to interpreting the scripture and how those were to be applied and not to applied. And the, um, the fundamentalists oftentimes really felt like, you know, we're just we're being seen as stupid people and we're the plain people and we're just gonna be ordinary plain citizens. We're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna, um, we're, we're not gonna get um, any kind of fundamental, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be able to do battle along this academic route.
One of the songs that interesting that comes out, maybe you know this song, Becca, or maybe not, um, people growing up was, I know he lives, he lives within my heart. I serve a risen savior. He's in the world today. I know he's living no matter what men may say, you know, no matter yes. what you educated people. So that was a that yes. was a defensive thing coming out of fundamentalism. Wow. It said we, you know, we're uh, we don't care what you're arguing about. We don't know, you know, we're we're just gonna we're gonna learn this thing. And and we know it because it's in our heart. Jesus is in our heart and we feel it. We feel it deeply. And y'all leave us alone with your highfalutin arguments. Don't mess with us. So it was that kind of attitude coming out of fundamentalism. So this is this is fundamentalism. So fundamentalists really started their own. Um, they went when they left the seminaries, they founded their own. And among them was Dallas Theological Seminary, Fuller, Fourth oh, you didn't Theological go on Seminary, um, and uh, Gordon Conwell. So, so th- these are fundamentalists now. The Dallas fundamentalists are, you know, and and the Dallas fundamentalism really struggled with. Um, you guys are looking at me strange. What's what's these looks? Sorry, like? That's the seminary that all growing yes. up, all the people I know went yes. to. Okay. Yeah, that was awful. Okay. One of the two. seminaries. <laughs> yep, all okay. the people went to. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there's a big difference between Dallas and Fuller, and Fuller became much more moderate, and I'll talk about them later. But Dallas was uh, the, is the is the fundamentalist place, and that's where my dad was connected to. I mean, he used to get. The magazine, The Sword of the Lord. Y'all must know that magazine. Do you, Becca, does that, you ever see A Sword of the Lord? No. Well, okay, picture that image now, The Sword of the Lord. I mean, the, you know, I, I, mean gonna, I could definitely God, picture. God's going to chop your head off, you know. Yes. <laughs> the sort of, yes. You know, and so you get this Sword of the Lord. Um, I, I ha- let, me, let me look at some names here associated. Out of that comes a whole... Um, a whole different strain. Now, this is dispensationalism becomes a part of this, this Dallas Theological Seminary. They're dispensationalists. So they have a certain view of reading the Bible. And this reading of the Bible is, um, is sort of breaking up the Bible into sections, but particularly important in dispensationalism is their view of end times. So they believe that there's going to be end times and certain things are going to happen. And then after that, other things are going to happen. Yes. The, the, yes. the two of you nodding shows me that y'all ain't evangelical. You're all fundamentalists. You're, you're, you're connected oh. to fundamentalists. Uh, everything you said. Uh, check, check. See, part, part of the, uh, let, me, let me just criticize people that come out of fundamentalism a little bit here. Okay, please. If I might. Please. Um, people coming out of fundamentalism have been told that there's only two things. There's fundamentalists and then there's atheism. You know, that's, there's no, there's nothing in between. That's you're right. either saved or you're not. There's nothing in between fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. You're either saved or you're not, but you're, mm-hmm. you gotta be right. saved in this way. You know, I mean. Exactly. And so, and, and what's interesting is that there's like five different levels beyond fundamentalism that's still in evangelicalism before you get to mainstream where you get a whole six or seven other levels in mainstream of Christianity. Oh my gosh. So, so you have all of this terrain and you've been told you're either in or out. And so most fundamentalists leave Christianity altogether. Yes. That's their temptation is to leave it all together because there's nothing in between, you know, 
And they continue to ask fundamentalist questions. Like okay, what we got so on I'm going to interject here. He, he's, he's poking okay, fun I'm, at me. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, um, I'm, I'm not really. I'm just. Um, you can poke fun. So, we laugh at this podcast. I, I mean, I'm having my mind blown because I'm constantly. If you read my face, I'm constantly like you know those Southern evangelicals. So I, 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 I'm, I've been taken to school. I guess I am coming out of fundamentalism. But I posed a, a question on a group chat earlier um, to four people in our book group, but Bob is in, in our book group, all of whom um, are either pastors or went to seminary. And I asked them all in this one group chat, do you believe that the Bible is the inerrant infallible word of God? And Bob's response was, I will be talking about that on a podcast later this evening. You should tune in. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah, see, and inerrancy, um, most evangelicals don't like that term. It, it, what happened along the way, and, and it's important to note that evangelicalism took the term evangelicals because they wanted to get away from fundamentalism. So evangelicals were, were a different group of people that didn't like, that at least may have agreed with the seven fundamentalists. Keep that in mind. Many of them did, or at least would nuance on them. You know, like the divinity of Christ was important to most. That's so, important to all evangelicals. Can I, can I ask a, clarif can I ask but, a clarifying but, question? Yeah, go ahead, Tom. At, at this point in sure, sort of the sure, separation, please. as we've contextualized it, is this still a racialized separation? So, okay. No, 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 no. We're talking about we're talking about ways. This is this is predominantly going on within okay. white circles at this point. There is um, th there there will be some racialized things happening along the way, as I pointed out, but that hasn't happened yet. So, what I started with and talking about my dad and whatnot. That hasn't happened yet. That's not till some of this doesn't happen till the 60s. Also, it's important to note that the black church is mm -hmm. totally separate from what's going on here. The the indigenous black church doesn't have any, this isn't happening within their circles because the black church is more nuanced. It's also connected a lot more to issues of social justice because if Amen. you're black, you got to deal with social justice. So the black church, the black indigenous church is much connect, much more connected and talking about these things, the distinction between social justice and spiritual things are not, not a part of it. And the theology is quite different because the theology within the black church has to do with, does God care about us, period. Mm. It's not about inner stuff. Um, white supremacy talked mostly about what's going on in your heart and in, you know, and what, yep. you, what your heart is doing, what's, what you're thinking about God and what you're, what your personal commitments are, is not mm. thinking about doing in the world. Um, and Ooh. that's, so that's kind of the distinction between what's going on in the, um, in um, the black church. Um, but what we're talking here is predominantly in white churches, white mainline churches. Now there are plenty of black people in white mainline churches, but that's not the indigenous. And they may be going back and forth. They may be going between people, black people, might be going to one church, you know, one day and another, or switching up between churches, or they started in one and found something in their neighborhood. A lot of this depends on where you go, depends on what's available to you and what's nearby and 
you know, what kind of friends you have in the community around you. So, so these are not always theological decisions people are making when they go to church. But, but basically what we're talking about here is, is happening in the, in the white church. Evangelicals then really came out of fundamentalism, white evangelicals, and some black people with them, of course, um, came out of fundamentalism and said, we don't like the attitude. So it's largely the attitude of fundamentalism that they're kind of critiquing. They want to nuance this thing a little better. They want to say this thing is not quite, you know, there's, there's an attitude and we can see the racism going on here. Um, and so we want to do something different here than what's going on in fundamentalism. To jump ahead, what happened was evangelicals became much more popular than fundamentalists, so fundamentalists grabbed the name, you know, and evangelicals haven't gotten away yet, <laughs> you know. Um, so they grabbed, you know, over time it became emerged so that fundamentals and evangelicals became the same name. Now, there are a lot of fundamentalists that say, no, we're evangelicals. We're not like the old-fashioned fundamentalism, but they are. And, uh, you know, this whole Trump mess shows exactly that they are. Yeah. Um, um, so you had so you had a group, uh, a number of people, there's some names that come up. Uh, Harold Ockengay uh, started the National Association of Evangelicalism. Um, Karoff Henry and Charles Fuller became the Fuller Seminary that you, you know about, um, they, they, were, they were seeking to get away and nuancing a little better um, evangelicalism. Uh, the, you know, these, these fundamentalists, they, wanted, they didn't want to be painted with that stripe. They didn't want the racism. They had their own racism, of course. You know, folks struggle with racism, but, but they didn't like the blatant racism of the fundamentalists. Um, and the fundamentalists that my dad was dealing with, and I never understood why he didn't at least go to these folks, you know, but he saw them as too liberal, didn't quite trust them, he didn't think they were solid enough with scripture, you know, the, the, the term inerrancy was not being used, um, and all those kinds of things, and they were trying to nuance something a little, little different. Um, they were still, in large part, um, the, their statements of faith looked very fundamentalist, Mm -hmm. on paper. Um, but they were trying to get away from this kind of hard-nosed, um, merciless um, fundamentalism, this merciless Christianity. Um, and so that group formed magazines like Christianity Today um, and, and those kind of magazines that became kind of in between um, Billy Graham is very interesting in this in this story. This, Billy Graham came along much later um, than the 20s and 30s. He's he's coming in about the 50s, uh, or a little before the 50s, the 40, the late 40s, the 50s in there. And Billy Graham's coming along, and of course he was he was at first embraced by fundamentalism because he was coming out of Dallas. He he was raised in that Dallas fundamentalism yeah. of the Dallas Theological Seminary. So he's coming out of those fun that fundamentalist group that originally left, the mainstream got kicked out, 
because of their attitude. Um, but as he traveled, he he people that travel get a different perspective. If you go to other countries and and you and you deal with other audiences, and so Billy Graham did a couple of things that really teed off the um, the fundamentalists that he came from. One, when he went into a city, he would accept everybody on the pulpit. Didn't matter what church you came from. If you're a Christian, you were allowed up there. You know, now he may or may not let you speak, you know, but but you were on there and many of you, you probably were allowed to pray or something like that. And, you know, so there was a, so he was attempting to cross some bridges. That was the first thing. And second thing, he started coming out against um, segregated situations. So when he went into the South, he refused to have segregation go on in his crusades. Now, unfortunately, he still called them crusades, right? I mean, that's not, that's kind of historically not. Yeah, you know, you yeah, don't, exactly. You don't get a lot, you don't get a lot of, <laughs> you're still calling your meeting crusades. So yeah. he's not getting, he's not getting it, um, you know, and so, and crusades has a supremacy of it. It made some kind of supremacy. Not everything is white supremacy, but it's a supremacy, a Christian yeah. supremacy mm -hmm. that, that eats it up. So he's still calling them crusade, but by, by 1954, um, he had he invited Howard Jones, a black evangelist, on to, to become one of his associate ministers. And um, since Howard Jones was my neighbor, I heard lots of stories about, you know, what was going on. And Billy Graham was taking a hit. I mean, these these fundamentals were had death threats and all kinds of stuff. Wow. So what we're seeing now is not new. It's fundamentalism has always been deeply racist and deeply sexist. We can talk about that too. It's always been those things. He's moderating this and, you know, and nuancing his thing. And I heard him speak one time. I, I was at a dinner where Billy Graham spoke. And he said... Um, he said, now, I'm about, after I finish this, this event tonight, I'm heading to Russia to speak there. He says, I realize that a lot of you are criticizing me for that. He said, please keep that up. That helps my credibility over in Russia. <laughs> it shows, you know, and I said, okay, Billy's a little more, he, he got a little more together than I understood him to have, you know, keep that up. So, so that's where he was in that kind of fundamentalist thing of you fundamentalists, yeah, I'm kind of with you, but y'all just don't get it, you know that kind of. So there was that in Billy Graham. He was like, "Y'all too you know, much." You had that kind of thing. <laughs> when he was getting death threats, yeah, it was yeah, because yeah, of very, him allowing this one black yeah. pastor to be on his staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because. Because this is not just speak, but he's part of his team now. So he's traveling mm -hmm. with them and going, you know, and these Southerners coming out of Dallas theology, you know, that it's just, it's just a mess. Um, so an, a, another thing happened within, um, by 1963, um, a group of black people gathered together, black fundamentalists, Slash soon to become evangelicals and said, we are very tired of the racism. We find it in our schools. We find it in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Nyack, New York. We're finding it in the seminaries, particularly Dallas and whatnot. 
you know, by this time, Bob Jones is going and we, Bob mm -hmm. Jones is a racist place. And so we're just, we're tired of this. So we're going to form our own National Black Evangelical Association. So in 1962, a guy named Aaron, Aaron Hamlin, a guy that I grew up with, actually, um, I was I was just a kid at the time, and he was in my dad's church. So he came out of my dad's church, and he started traveling the country, sort of raising money. He came by to see my dad. My dad was all huffy about it later when he left. He was kind to him, but he left. You know, he left. Um, but um, they formed that, and um, one of the theologians coming out of the National Black Evangelical Association was a guy by the name of um, William Bentley. And he and his wife, Ruth, was a psychologist. She taught black psychology. She and I taught together at uh, Trinity uh, in the 70s. Um, so Ruth Bentley and William Bentley. William Bentley um, was a theologian and was writing, um, his writings were more left, left than many of the people in the National Black Evangelical Association. Um, and there were fights. I, I, in, those, in the later days, somewhere around the 60s and the 70s, I attended a lot of the National Black Evangelical Association meetings. And, and there, were, there was, I, I, I would identify three groups in the National Black Evangelical Association. Um, one of them was the, um, I would call the, the um, the evangelists, sort of the moderate evangelist types, who had a social justice message, and that was um, Tom Skinner. Tom Skinner was one of the groups okay. in that. Tom Skinner, uh, his famous sermon in 1974 at University, um, talked about. I mean, if you listen to that sermon, you think you're hearing the progressive message now. Um, it, it was it was quite radical. He talked about the um, the political situation. He talked about the founding of the country. Um, he he said stuff that the sixteen nineteen project said long before the sixteen nineteen project was around. He he talked about you know and and his his idea was to drive toward we really need to suck the full Jesus. You know Jesus is not just the inner workings of our heart, but and so you had Tom Skinner, the evangelistic. Um, you had the conservative element that was a guy by the who was still a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, Tony Evans. And T Tony Evans mm -hmm. is kind of the conservative guy on the conservative side. Tony and Evans and I used to go at it. You know, I mean, we just go at it. You know, we'd, we'd have lunch together, but we'd go at it. You know, <laughs> uh, back in those days. And uh, he, he, he hung with the Dallas crowd. See, he was with the Dallas people, and so he hung. So I saw him as more fundamentalist than evangelical, but he was part of that organization. Hmm. And then you had the William Bentley who were doing the black nationalist stuff, and they were black nationalist evangelicals. Um, they were talking about, and they said, you know, uh, Ruth once said, you know, we're not trying to say that the, the Christians shouldn't hang together but black people aren't ready for that yet. We don't love ourselves well enough to hang together with white people. And so they were coming down that, that path. And of course they were, you know, she was teaching in a predominantly white evangelical school and some other things. So she wasn't talking about total separation, but she was just saying psychologically, when I teach psychology, 
um, black people have to learn to love themselves first, mm. you know, before um, they can they can relate to white people. And so there was that that element, um, and sh and they gathered together a student group. Well, one year this whole thing fell apart, and you know people were quitting and leaving the association because they they just had a big fight. And Tom Skinner was saying, "I told these people not to do this. <laughs> you know, you know they, they they should just preach the gospel." And Bill Bentley was going, "Yeah, you know," and it was a fight between basically the the Bentley group and the Tony Evans group. Hmm. So just uh -huh. was was Ruth the one that teaching that black people needed to learn themselves? Yeah, to care about themselves. But that William Bentley would have they both were were nationalists. And so they were saying, mm -hmm. you know, we're not we're we're Christian, we're Christian nationalists. We believe that all people ought to relate to each other and love each other, but but we're you know, we're because black people have been so beaten up and traumatized. Mm -hmm we need some time to relate to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we're not for a whole lot of, you know, and particularly she was against interracial marriage. Um, and uh, I had my uh, fiance there who was white. Mm -hmm. And so that was, we had lots of discussions, <laughs> as you can imagine. I bet, yeah. yeah. So, so that was an interesting time of, because uh, we were office mates, keep that in mind, but she was more concerned about how messy my desk was. <laughs> Some of these other things. My desk was but, but you know what? There's so an extent was... to which I get that. I mean, after after spending six mm -hmm. months sure. reading my grandmother's hands and understanding mm -hmm. racialized trauma and all the internalized yeah. racism that so many black people have, um, I, I do understand yeah. saying, uh, "Sure, we sure. we need to like process some of our own stuff." I I I I, I that mm -hmm. doesn't totally sound like. Right, right. No, no, no. She she was making a lot of sense to me, and I was really struggling because I was trying to figure out what what I wanted to do and what I should do, and where where were we? Um, and so that was that was um, the National Black Association. So that was 1963. Um, uh, uh, so simultaneous to that, there was another group of evangelicals meeting, who were the social justice evangelicals. Now they were made up of parts of the people from the NBEA and some from this other group of uh, evangelicals, the first group that was leaving fundamentalism, Carl Henry and, and Ockengay and some of those. I think Ockengay may have been dead by then, I can't remember. Um, but, but led by a guy by the name of Ron Sider, um, they signed a declaration that became known as the Chicago Declaration. Um, let me read the whole name of that. Let me see if I can find that here. <coughs> yeah, it was a, the Chicago Declaration of Evangelical Social Concern. And that was signed in 1973 in Chicago. I was uh, teaching, I had just um, arrived in Trinity College and was teaching uh, courses <coughs> in psychology at that point at Trinity, um, so I didn't get in on the signing, but I knew a lot of these guys because Trinity is in the suburbs of Chicago. And so I was meeting a lot of these people um, and they had to do, they had connections to um, Sojourners. Do you know the Sojourners community and Sojourners magazine? Yep. So th those were, that was the beginning, um, some of the beginnings of Sojourners. Um, 
Jim Wallace was at Trinity at the time. I met him there. Um, Are we talking about the historical Trinity of Chicago with Jeremiah Wright? No, no, no. That's the that's the church Trinity. This is a a evangelical divinity school. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for keep us on the because those of us who are following this evangelicalism sort of know these names. This was Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and Seminary. And I um, <coughs> I was teaching in the college and uh, really hanging out with this Evangelicals for Social Action people, you know, the Jim Wallaces and, uh, you know, that whole group there that were, that were challenging Evangelicals. So they're taking Evangelicalism further left here. And that's, that's important to note. Because um, now, if you look at what is now being termed evangelicalism, which includes the big picture of all, all the fundamentalists that now are naming themselves evangelicals, and this group, it breaks out about 70% conservative and 30% on the left. And the Jim Wallace people and the, and the people from the Other Side magazine that later became, that got more and more leftist. In fact, my mom was kind of upset that it got so far leftist because she was saying, we were just talking about racism and now they're talking about, you know, women and women preaching and all that. <laughs> you know, so she was, she, that they were pushing beyond where she was willing to go, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and none of these groups had, had yet had discussions about um, acceptance of gay people and whatnot, you know, and had gay. Although there was some, Virginia Mollenkopf, for example, um, there was a Lisa Scanzoni and Virginia Mollenkopf and one other person whose name slipped me right now, wrote a book um, about feminist, feminism in Christianity. And they began to push on, you know, the issues of um, misogyny and whatnot. The the first out of, so it was timid, you know, the, the first out of this were timid, um, but Virginia Mollenkot had come from fundamentalism herself. She had graduated from Bob Jones University. Oh. And so she had come a long, long ways. Bob Jones, uh, Tommy, for, for you, was, was very, that was, Bob Jones was one of the cases that Reagan took up uh, in defending Bob Jones against the, the prescription that all universities had to become racially open or not get government funding. And so it was. It was uh, one of the first uh, cases, Supreme Court case, I believe it went all the way to Supreme Court, in challenging that school that it had to open up. It, it was. It was a discriminatory school, and it was racial, their discrimination, and that became the rallying cry. That's what really ignited modern fundamentalism, um, and the pushback on the right. Um, they say it was abortion, but it really wasn't abortion. You know, it was really that. Um, huh. So the so the modern um, modern push against liberalism and against mainstream was really a racial thing. It was it was an attempt to um, to defend that, and abortion just became an easier issue because you know folks knew that was wrong. You know, so. So to get a little more convoluted, they they picked up the issue, and I so I was there when this happened, so I know that I was. Um, my dad required us all to go to Cedarville College, which was another fundamentalist institution, 
And so I was at Cedarville College when this was developing. So I saw this firsthand. Wow. You know, when people tell you this didn't happen or people are making it up, I was there and I watched it. In at Cedarville, I was a um, I was a bi biology lab assistant, and um, you know I took care of some of the, the 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 lab stuff. I put out the petri dishes and yeah. you know cleaned them up afterward. And so I was just you know I was a gopher um, for the professors that were in the biology department. And um, we had a on the shelf at Cedarville. This is Fundless Institution. We had a shelf. In formaldehyde, a a, a, a fetus. Mm -hmm. We had a fetus sitting in in a jar of water, pretty pretty far grown. Now I you know I don't think necessarily that it came from an abortion. It was probably from a, you know, something else. But but that you know this sacredness of the fetus was not going on at Cedarville. Racism was. Mm -hmm. um, the racial stories were going on. And um, my brother has the worst story. Um, he was, uh, by, by other students, he was taken to a shopping mall in Beaver Creek. I believe it was what, Beaver Creek what shopping mall. What year is this? Do you time. remember? We're talk yeah, we're talking um, seven, um, 60, let's see. I, I started Cedarville at 65, from 65 to 69. Um, my brother would have come maybe the last year. So we're talking 68, 69. Um, yeah, my brother wasn't there when King was killed. So it had been 69, 68, 69 okay. school year, um, we were to be talking about. And they took him over to the Beaver Creek. And they knew that the store detectives would be following him. So they split from him and then um, started started shoplifting. <laughs> they, just, they, were, they were getting away with murder all this shoplifting because they were following the black guy. Yeah. You know, and they knew that would happen and they were willing to do that. Um, just craziness. You know, that kind of craziness. The school prohibited interracial dating, of course, at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, and some of us challenged it. You know, I mean, we just, you know, public, I mean, not with people we were really dating, even, you know, just. We showed up at the at the, at the where the boards were the board was there and everything you know we this just and to um, contextualize that the loving Supreme Court mm -hmm. case happened 1967 so this was like a Seven, big right. was this a big public discussion? It was not no this was this was under Cedarville I mean these folks had all kinds of rules that weren't public. So these, this was not, I was, I was called into the dean's office and said, you will not do this. And we will get you rides over to Central State if you need to date, but you're not gonna date here on college campus. But by the, by the that was my freshman year. By the time I was at my senior year, I had enough clout that, you know, they weren't gonna mess with me. Um, Cause I was, you know, I was known on campus. I had been elected to some positions and whatnot, so. So they're having trouble knowing what to do with me. And there was all kinds of things going on there. I mean, you know, there was there was a dress code for the women. Your skirt had to touch the floor when you got on your knees. You know, that's still pretty short for the today, but you know, <laughs> in, in those days that was that was long. You know, so you know, so you're and and all this there was all these kind of things and I, I 
So I, I remember once going into the dean's office and I said, Dean, um, why, why do women, why can't women wear pants going to a sporting event? They could wear pants if they were participating in the event, but they could not wear pants going to the sporting event. And he said, well, Bob, we're, we're trying to teach modesty. And I said, have you ever stood below the bleachers and looked up when women are in dresses? <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, you're right. He said, you're right. It's really for our churches, support from our churches. And I said, okay, I appreciate your honesty. And that was, a, but this this guy was the the dean of boys. Uh, uh, I think it was the dean of students. He was the dean of students. He had no training on working with youth. He he had no training in psychology. He was a he was a theologian and not a good theologian at that. I mean, I took one of his courses, and you know, I mean, it just you know. So so, but Cedarville later grew. I mean, it grew into and. Um, and Cedarville, the town, um, is connected with Mike DeWine, who's the governor of Ohio right now. Mike DeWine comes from Cedarville and was part of this whole thing. So, so this fundamentalist thing, and these are fundamentalists now. These, these are not evangelicals. These are not the people that split or tried to nuance fundamentalism into something better. for listening to part one of our conversation with Bob Hunter. We'll be back with part two. See you then.